This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 3D Pod. I'm your host, Maxwell Bogue, and with me, as always, is Joris Peels. Hey, Joris, how you doing? I'm doing well, Max. How are you doing? I'm fine. Well, uh, today we've got Al Shablani, who's the founder and the chairman of uh, Vision Tech. And Al's been working in 3D printing for a seriously long time. He's a true 3D printing pioneer who started at uh, working on these long machines that we keep coming back to in the, in the show. It's like a leitmotif, these long machines. So we're going to definitely talk about Al and how he got his start in the business. But how everybody knows Al is the fact that he built Envision Tech into a company that uh, makes VAT polymerization systems and a bunch of other different technologies, actually, at the moment. And like They do bioplotters, they have a glass and ceramics technology, lots of different ones. But the one thing that uh, made Envision Tech really well known is the fact that they made a perfectory machine, which is this industry workhorse that makes tens of millions of parts for jewelry. Uh, you know, conquered the hearing aid industry. If you're talking about people printing millions of hearing aid parts, uh, that's being done on Envision Tech machines uh, mainly, and also makes millions of dental parts. These true production machines that that keep going for like literally decades. I'm not, not even kidding. And uh, yeah, so Al really built that business that did uh, these DLP, most of them are DLP machines. And he built that uh, business. Uh, he's been doing this for 19 years. He's been working in 3D printing. So it's really great to be able to talk to Al. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And, yeah, anytime, Al, anytime. So, so first, I think the first thing, we, we, we keep coming back to these LOM machines, right? And these are these machines that use laser and a paper. And, that, and, and I don't know, it just sounded like the worst idea in the world. <laughs> and that's how you got involved in 3D printing. So, so tell me about what that was like. In 1992, um, I was contacted by a company called Helices. And um, at the time, it was three employees of the company. And um, they said that we have an idea to make... Um, three-dimensional parts so you know you take the trees and you turn them into paper let's take the paper and turn it back into a tree that looks like any shape that we want to have so take the paper glue it cut it with a laser glue one layer at a time cut one layer at a time and then you end up with a piece of wood and that's really um was quite genius at the time but it also had a very nice nerve with the automotive industry because, you know, all the manufacturers in the automotive industry are pretty much uh, very much accustomed to working with wood patterns on the ventures to make all the prototypes for the cars. So right. it was very natural to adopt the technology quite fast. So that's really how it all started. And um, I got contacted by GM and, they said, uh, we heard that you can do 3D parts out of wood. And I said, yes. And they said, well, we have a transmission case that takes 18 weeks to do on the bench. How long does it take to make it on your printer and, and Helix's printer? And I said, 72 hours. <laughs> they said, come on down. Come on down. Bring it down. Let's see it. So uh, we brought the printer down, uh, me and Alexander Skolnik, who was the um, engineering manager at Helices and who is currently now on his 19th year is the chief technical officer of Envision Tech and uh, we put the printer in and uh, 72 hours later we ended up with a block of wood that looks like a Rubik's Cube 
So you decube all the, the cubes that are not attached with a laser cut, and you end up with a, a part that looked like a transmission case. And I believe that was really um, groundbreaking because at the time, um, you know, Scott Crump was working on the FDM that was six by six by six. And Chuck Hall was in another room of GM Tech Center working on his SLA-1, which was a 10 by 10 by 10 inches. So when we walked in with the LOM 2030, it was 20 inches by 30 inches by 24 inches. That was truly, this was truly the first large frame 3D printing system um, that was deployed at the time. So it was pretty interesting times. And, and this is talking 1992 uh, when we were all at the tech center at GM installing the first printer. I'm really glad you brought that up because GM has played an absolutely instrumental uh, role in, in, in the U.S. 3D printing industry. I literally believe like three of the biggest companies literally got kickstarted. I think one of their first customers for every one of them uh, was GM. And they did so much for our industry. They never get credit for it. But I think, uh, I think it's wonderful that you brought that up. Who are the other two? Um, um, three systems. And, and, and I think they're the first. I think Stratasys. they're also the first, uh, the first Stratasys customer. And I think yeah. they kind of semi-incubated 3D systems as well. Fair enough. So... Yeah, I mean, Stratasys, 3D Systems, um, and Helices uh, were the first three machines that were in the building. And then we followed, and then, and then I, Cubital, um, which was basically the company that uh, spun off to become Object, because Cubital was very expensive, had a lot of moving parts, and, and it was just a monster of a machine. And uh, the company went out of business, and a lot of the guys that were at Cubital ended up uh, doing the object uh, yeah, printer. Uh, also, object, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. It's crazy. And and uh, and then, but at one point, you decided that then, uh, with the CTO, go and form your own business, which would later become Envision Tech. What was the kernel? What was the? Why did you want to do your own your own gig, your own business, your own technology? In '96, I decided I wanted to develop a technology that delivers a resolution that is not feasible at the time. So if you look at what was out there, um, it was uh, the cubicle machine, it was the LOM machine, it was the SLA machine, it was the FDM machine. Those were the ones that were out there. Um, and um, there was not really the super high precision technology. And I, I started brainstorming about what can I do as technology platform? And at the time, '96, uh, Stratus, uh, sorry, Helices um, was going out of business. So, um, you know, buddies again uh, talking to each other. Me and uh, Alexander Skolnik, who's the CTO again, and we've been working together. I said, let's try to use the 35 millimeter camera, uh, the film, to actually project a UV image. And then we can cure resin. We started taking that route in 96. And we thought that that would be an interesting approach. But then if there was a problem with the part, you have to reproduce the film again. Right. So you can do this. <laughs> and what so, was the inspiration um, for this, by the way? Yeah, the, well, the idea yeah. of using film. Yeah. Well, so, you know, the interesting thing about the 35 millimeter camera uh, uh, and the 35 millimeter film that you produce the negative is the ability to deliver super high resolution. If you look at the resolution of 35 millimeter camera, there was nothing like it. Uh -uh. Um, so the resolution would allow you to deliver 
the highest quality part. All you have to do is put a projector with a lens mm -hmm. and then run the film in front of the resin, project the image, block the light where you want to block it and cure it where uh -huh. you want to cure the other stuff. And that would deliver wow. superb accuracy. And, and we did it. We did it, Got but we were like, okay, but that's not commercial enough because every time there's a change to the design, you got to <laughs> It's like a new it. film. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, we went through the whole process. And then, um, and then in 1998, we're like, hmm, what about this DLP technology from TI? It's pretty interesting. Let's start to look at it. So we started looking at that. And then uh, we started working together and we developed the system in the living room and got resin all over the carpet. And oh, got really <laughs> a very mad, uh, a very mad uh, owner of the property that we're doing resin in the middle of the living room. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a good time. So we, we developed the, the DLP technology and um, me and, and, and Sasha together and, and in, uh, this is a pretty interesting story because at the time I, I have a company called SIPCO, which is a third party supplier of uh, materials and services for uh, SLA and FDM. So we're doing all kinds of repairs on the laser heads uh, for the SLAs and uh, working on the FDM and the FDM nozzles and the XY table on the FDM uh, at the time. And, and um, we, we started, you know, developing this technology and, and I was exhibiting so in, in around in 1999, 2000, we had a beautiful working system, me and Sasha together, and and Sipco, which was my company, was kind of financing the effort, and uh, we were exhibiting Sipco as as our services at Euromold in uh, 2001. I was walking between, and then I saw, you know somebody say breakthrough technology DLP printing and and then I looked at it and I'm like oh so I sent a very interesting letter uh, email to the um, to Sasha or CTO and I the the subject matter of the um, email was F dot 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 <laughs> doing the same shit we're doing <laughs> so, yeah. so we actually have that uh, email frame and, and then um, <laughs> And then uh, I, I talked to the guy, he said, so do you have a system? Mind you, I have a system that's working. And he said, uh, no, this is just in the early stages, still prototype, we're still experimenting. And then um, he said, okay. And, and then he said, this is actually pretty interesting history. So he said, uh, um, I said, are you interested in working with us? He's like, no, go away, I'm not interested. And so that was in 2001. In 2002, he called me and said, um, all my money backers have gone out. All the VCs have not provided any money for me. They don't believe that this technology works. I said, okay. He said, um, so we're liquidating the company. I said, what kind of assets you have? He said, uh, pretty much one asset, which is a patent that they applied for. Ooh. So they kind of beat us to the patent by a... Right. I said, okay, so, so make a long story short, went to Germany, um, uh, went to purchase the assets, and, which was the patent, and, and the judge in Germany told me what every good German judge does. He says, oh, you want to buy the patent? I said, yes. He said, guess what? Uh, you want to buy the patent, you also have to buy something else. He said, well, he said, you have to buy the services of the five employees. 
what? So what do you mean? If you're high oh. school, you're tied in unless you hire all five employees there. <laughs> and so that was the beginning of Envision Tech GmbH. And, and so... <laughs> Yeah, and the so, wonderful uh, world of the works council. <laughs> yeah, wunderbar. Oh, oh and the world of yeah, absolutely, and I have that as well. So yeah, uh, so it was uh, wow. it was the beginning of Envision Tech GmbH, which actually um, was interesting because um, you know I'm, I don't speak German. I'm an American national, and and and. and uh, <laughs> Uh, I usually try to spend as much time in Frankfurt, not leave Frankfurt at, at, at best. So all of a sudden, I'm taking a train from Frankfurt to Uberhausen, from Uberhausen to Gladbeck. And so um, we, uh, we, we, we got the employees. And then uh, in March of uh, 2003, we sold our first system. Now it's our 19th year in business. We've placed thousands of systems in the field. Uh, we have, except for two years of being flat, we have grown every single year, and including 2020, where we actually outdid 2019, even under the pandemic, thanks to our technology and our material sets and the great uh, teams of engineers and, and, and developers and all the hard workers at Invasion Tech. Uh, so why did you grow this year, actually? What kind of systems are you selling into medical for swabs, that kind of thing, or, or what's, what's behind that growth? I mean, I, I think, look, um, the, it's a multi-pronged thing. It's uh, uh, The swab, uh, you know, basically is really an interesting application because uh, we managed to, um, uh, within uh, a short period of time, go into production capacities that would allow us to deliver um, and, and satisfy the supply chain uh, shortage on the, on the swabs uh, from Copa and from Italy. And, and so that was an interesting uh, thing. But ultimately, also a lot of uh, companies adopted our technology that are large diagnostic labs and, and wanted to no longer rely on a, on, a, on a single supplier and be stuck uh, with having to deal with us again. So um, we built a nice uh, infrastructure for a lot of companies, not primarily SWAT, but also medical devices. Um, uh, and so that, that actually lent a hand and and then the other thing which is interesting is um, we've uh, changed our strategy in 2019. Um, one of the most important things I think in 3D printing, at least on the photopolymer side, is that uh, whether it's, um, you know, Stratus is through its object arm or whether it's 3D systems or whether it's Envision Tech uh, on the photopolymer side, you know, us being the oldest and kind of the most established in that space, um, we've always kind of looked at our system and closed systems and and I think that, in a way, take a look back, did not really help our case a lot. We, we kind of did not open our system to a lot of these uh, new technology, material technology platforms. But um, that also limited the movement of the technology from uh, prototyping to production. And in the last couple of years, we've, we've made a strategic decision on a board level to um, open, selectively open our technology where we see that there's a material technology that can move the bar uh, from um, DLP technology, which we invented, we innovated, and, and we commercialized at Envision Tech. We, we, we wanted to look more seriously at other uh, potential materials that can deliver this production capacity. And, and I believe that DLP technology is the only uh, segue to production because of the speed of production. And so we did that, and, and um, 
I think it's starting to pay off this year, uh, this last two years strategy. Uh, we, we started working with uh, people who are really paying attention and investing in, in material development. So DSM Somos, uh, Henko, BSF, uh, Adaptive 3D, these guys are, you know, have really now uh, taken the technology seriously and believe that this technology can go into production. And as such, we started to get material sets um, that would deliver production type parts. So um, the interesting thing that happened in the last two years is that, as you know, photopolymer technology has always delivered a very high quality surface part and, and FDM has always delivered a, a, a very good functional part but did not have the surface quality or the detail. Right. And so now what I've seen and what we're seeing, reason for the growth going back to your question is, we're seeing a, a, a shift on the photopolymer side where it's approaching the performance of the uh, thermoplastics on the FDM side, but still delivering an injection molded quality. And as such, we're seeing um, sales in the um, small to uh, short-run productions uh, for uh, end-use parts on the medical side and on the industrial side. And so uh, we're seeing a lot of growth in the medical side, you know, not, and I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about swabs, I'm talking more about, you know, on the orthotic space, we're seeing some good growth on the dental space. Uh, of course, the technology has evolved quite a bit where it's becoming more of an end-use part. So we're seeing some growth there. Uh, we're seeing growth on the um, uh, packaging side. Uh, so all in all, I think our strategy that we developed two years ago to move into real production is, is interesting. And and investing in DLP technology that delivers very high power, because I believe that chemically speaking, in order for you to go to a stable part, which is good for five to seven years, that will not age and become brittle, which has historically been the problem with photopolymers, is 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 really investing in in, in higher power DLP technology that would give you that chemistry set once the part is cured to be equivalent to a thermoplastic part and deliver mechanical properties like a thermoplastic part. And we have to thank our partners, uh, you know, the big conglomerates that are finally taking us seriously and really developing uh, chemistry for uh, the DLP technology. Uh, and I think that's really what's causing all this growth and you're seeing a lot of it. But but also on the other hand, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people that are going to the market and, and, and that's I, I, the last time I checked in 2019, we had 177 manufacturers of DLP systems. Uh, there's a lot of garage operations. And I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that we will see some good uh, shape down as a result of the Corona uh, virus and the shutdown that a lot of these people that are trying to sell uh, cheap systems don't ruin the name of the company and uh, of the DLP technology, uh, but rather will shake down as as every time a new technology starts evolving, you get a lot of players, but then the serious ones uh, end up there. So yes, that's uh, again is where we are. The, the technology is is really helped us grow. Uh, on all different sites. The resin material, you said there's a bunch of um, like garage type people doing this stuff now. I, I understand when the resin's cured, once it's been hit and everything, it's quite safe and stable. When it's not, when it's just in the jar, how how safe is that material when contacted with the human skin or, or something of that nature? So look, uh, there, it, it really depends on, on the chemistry of the photopolymer. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it depends how what kind of monomers or ligomers and what kind of cytotoxicity the levels you have. I mean, of course, we don't expect you to drink it and no, but <laughs> um, or sniff it. But we also, I mean, um, there are some very safe resins. I mean, there are resins that are implantable in the body mm-hmm. uh, once they're cured, um, and there are, um, you know, I, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of resin out there that has very high cytotoxicity. So um, I can just to give you a small example, right? Uh, so now, and let's take one uh, oligomer in our formulation that we buy. Let's say we buy the oligomer for fifty, sixty dollars per kilogram. I can get the same equivalent of one out of China uh, for about seven to nine dollars. Well, the yeah. difference between the two is if it's a pregnant lady that's working on the machine every day, she's going to have a deformed baby. If I use the <laughs> Chinese uh, one. Uh, and then if I use the um, the Swiss one uh, that we we buy from Switzerland, made in Switzerland, it's got a cytotoxicity of zero. So here you have one product. They both claim at the end on the use of the machine that they will deliver the same product, but one is going to deliver a deformed baby and, and one is extremely safe and it's got a cytotox of zero. Um, so that's really where I think a lot of effort needs to be put out that, you know, on the photopolymer side, you know, this is no joke. You know, you can't be, you can't be buying product from companies that do not put real data on MSDSs and buy cheap stuff so they can sell the resin super cheap. I mean, at the end of the day, there's a health factor that plays into it that overrides the um, the economic factor. And I mean, still, I mean, resin prices are very competitive. They could be commoditized. They could be um, definitely um, a, um, a way, a segue into production, but, uh, definitely safety is, is a big issue that I see with all these companies that are coming out there, uh, trying to make resin in their garage operations. Right. Yeah. And, and you guys, I mean, uh, right now you're at a part where well, you're, you're still a privately held company, right? I mean, are, have you thought about things like going public? I, I, I bet people have tried to acquire you and stuff. Uh, are, are you still happy being independent and We've we've had uh, several people approach us. As a matter of fact, we get approached on a on a on a weekly basis. I um, we're perfectly um, a very healthy company. We're a um, a company that is uh, basically fully owned by its employees. Um, we're we're a company that is uh, has zero debt, uh, no outside capital. So and we make a lot of money. So we're in good shape. Uh, you know. Um, so, you know, how did you manage to do that? Look, I think we invented the LP technology. The, the LP technology that everybody's trying to copy right now is has really proven it itself. Um, so we really caught um, and focused from day one on looking for markets where we can have high value ads and not get a lot of competition. So um, we we really managed to generate revenue in a time when people are always uh, focused on low cost. So um, when when we went into the jewelry market, I mean, there was um, only Solidscape at the time, and it would take three days to print four rings, and we're doing them in eight hours. Today, those same, same eight rings, we do them in uh, two hours. Um, so um, we continue to evolve the technology with continue to provide high value add and we continue to focus on production applications. So whether it's the jewelry, 
that we're doing in 17 factories uh, for um, Swarovski, or whether we're doing uh, heating gauges for um, you know companies that are making 600,000 custom heating gauges every month, or whether we're doing uh, dental, or whether we're doing custom uh, uh, parts for medical devices. So we're always focused on on looking for high value add, looking for applications that deliver volume where people are not going to be looking for pennies, but are rather very happy with the stability of the solution. So um, that's really what we always have envisioned. Like we've never gone out and sold a machine. We've never sold materials. We've always sold a solution. And I think once you implement a solution that works, um, smart people say, if it's working, don't change it. And, and that's really has, has delivered a very good successful story for us. Uh, I literally heard the same people from people at like Phonok and, and companies like that as well. I mean, the hearing aid story for me must've been crazy because that of these applications actually a perfect one because it does need to be high quality and stuff. And it happened very, very quickly. What was it like for you guys to, to, to be in, in the hearing aid business? I started in 2005. We put the first system at Phonak. We ended up with, having production for them in 19 countries so uh, it grew quite a bit at at one point in time it became 60 percent of the market so um on on the hearing aids uh, on the shells and on the earmoles um definitely it was a quick nice way to produce 35 40 custom hearing aid shells in less than um in less than an hour and so the ability to produce these uh, compared to making a mold and pouring it, uh, where your cost went uh, by by producing on a 3D printer, your cost was about a dollar twenty-five for a hitting HL compared to about sixteen to seventeen dollars if you did it uh, the old way. It was a natural progression. So in 2005, I think um, we started by 2012. I think uh, probably. 75% of the custom hearing gels were all 3D printed. Uh, uh, and, and you know, we, we, we captured about 60% of the global market between all the big players uh, based on the uh, amount of resin that we're going through. And I think um, it, 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 it kind of, it, it hit the mark as a high value add. I mean, here you go. You're, you're making a hearing aid that costs five hundred yeah. to five thousand dollars. Wow! Yeah. Are you really going to be concerned when somebody comes in with a solution on a three D printer, and the material is going to be a dollar twenty five yeah, or a dollar fifty? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, yeah. it, it's absolutely irrelevant. And so, when I talk about high value add niche markets where there's volume and people, you deliver a solution and they stick to it. That that's really what uh, we've done, and and we continue to do that. Uh, we are definitely not a marketing, we're not a hype company, we're not a marketing company. A lot of people uh, feel obligated to hype a lot so that they can raise money uh, in, the, in the photopolymer space. We've seen a lot of that. We've seen a lot of people come and go. We've seen a lot of people re-emerge in a, in a different platform. But uh, ultimately, Envision Tech has been very conservative. We just do our thing. We deliver a solution. We make money and we don't need to hide because we don't need to raise money. And so we're very comfortable with that. And, and I think uh, one of the interesting applications, I mean, I think uh, we were talking all about DLP. I think it's just still the majority of your business, but you also have like this bio plotter, for example. And what are your thoughts on, and also SLA and, and by extension, perhaps DLP can be used in bioprinting applications. 
Um, so you had the pion plotter, which is like one of the, if not the most commercially available uh, bioprint. It's a really amazing device. If you ever want to lend one to me, uh, feel free. I love it. Uh, I went to the headquarters in Germany to see it. Uh, so I'd love to have one in my house. It's my dream printer to have in my house. Uh, <laughs> So, are you uh, to yeah, exactly. What are you printing? What do you want? No, dude, the, the thing, the thing is the thing you can do silicone, you can do hot and cold materials, you can mix materials uh, and stuff. So it's not only for, I'm not going to print myself a new nose or anything. Um, right, okay. uh, but it's just like the idea that you could use this thing for, you know, tons and tons of different things. And all the hydrogel thing really excites me as well. But anyway, printing silicone. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Silicone, for example, really, yeah. really exciting as well. Um, but anyway, but, yeah. but, so what are your thoughts on the bioprinting space? Is there's, there's also there's hype, right? I think the consumer really think we're going to get like printed organs like next week. It is building. We see a lot more research. But how are your feelings about it commercially? Is this going to be a big area for you guys? Look, um, again, um, let's, uh, let's take uh, the hype filter and put it on the side here for a minute. Um, yeah. in, in 1998, uh, we, we, we implemented the uh, bioproduct technology. The European Union came to us and they said, what can you do uh, to move this regenerative medicine uh, forward? And uh, we started working. Uh, the bioproduct we sell today is our fourth generation bioproduct. Um, we have the probably the most published, uh, over 320 published papers that are based on the bioproduct technology. Um, is it real? Absolutely. Uh, is it going somewhere? Yes. But you know, when it comes to body parts and uh, cartilage and, and, and uh, you know, um, printing uh, uh, or doing drug delivery system, printing implants, etc., all these different capabilities on the wire plotter, these things take time with the FDA and getting them approved. I mean, we're talking, you know, about a serious effort to, to move the, uh, the uh, real printing of parts that could be used custom custom patient specific so um i mean i'll give you a very specific example dr mao at the university of uh, columbia medical center um they've worked for a very long time it took about probably three to five years to finally uh, do a, an application and this application right now is also being uh uh, undergoing, you know, trials, etc., and, and this is a five to ten year process. You take the meniscus cells from one knee, you put them in a bioreactor, you regenerate a bunch of those cells, then you create a bioresorbable scaffold, which is basically like a mesh that is the shape of the meniscus that's destroyed in your leg. You put that, and then you the Dissolve mean dissolves for the from the from the body, and so what you do is you you come in with a bioplotter, and you have to plot cells at cold temperature so they are alive, and then you have to plot next to them nutrition cells to feed those cells so they don't die, and you have to spend years developing the matrix in which you can develop a uh, bunch of cells that will interconnect. To, to do that. And then once you know how to plot them on the printer, which Dr. Mao was capable of doing, now all of a sudden you have a, a bioresorbable scaffold, you come with the Envision Tech printer and you put in the cartridges, the cells, and then you plot the different cells on the same, up to five different materials on the same surface and you generate a meniscus. And then that meniscus 
in three weeks will be ready to go in somebody's knee that is made from the same DNA, the same cells. In 30 minutes, the op you put in that new meniscus that's made from your own cells. And in three weeks later, uh, you can jump on it with full loading on the same foot that you installed. So, yes, there's a lot of, ex I mean, this is an amazing one, printing your own meniscus from your own cells if you're 80 years old and you're getting all that infection and you have to get cortisone shot in your knee or you have uh -oh. to put a piece of metal. I mean, the idea is just incredible, right? So this is just one example that I gave, the idea of printing your own cartilage, uh, real cartilage. You know, a lot of people that get car accidents, they put silicone on their face just to make them uh, look, uh, you know, back to the same where they were before. No, I mean, the idea now you can print cartilage, um, real cartilage, the idea of doing drug delivery. I mean, we did yeah. a lot of work with the Mayo Clinic on um, doing drug delivery for cancer patients is, is another thing. Implants, uh, very spe uh, item-specific implants, that's another area. So there's a lot that's coming down the pipeline. And I think um, you will start to see a lot of that, I think, in the next two to three years, a lot of the application. I mean, there's so many applications the FDA, even the FDA has our printer right now because they, they're trying to figure out how people are using it. That's cool. And, and where do you want to be with Envision Tech like five years from now or in the future somehow, depending on how you, you kind of scenario plan for the future? What's your goal? So look, um, Envision Tech has multiple prongs on the business. So we have our SANS uh, uh, robotic additive manufacturing, large SANS system that can do three six three feet by six feet by three feet uh, that will also be running PMMA next year uh, for direct investment casting. So we would like to be a, a major player on the foundry floors in the next five years uh, in a very highly production type environment. We want to print basically six to seven inches per hour. Today we're at three inches per hour for a three foot by six foot uh, sand cores and molds. That's our goal on the uh, regenerative medicine. We will continue to lead in that space and we will work with our uh, customers to do cell therapy, um, come up with body parts. Uh, of course, I think you will start seeing a lot of that 10-year effort. So we started in 2002 putting the systems out um, commercially. So now it's about 18 years. I think we should start seeing two to three years more applications coming out for real body parts. Um, and then uh, on the DLP side, uh, I'm very proud of what we have disrupted. We disrupted the heating aid industry. We disrupted the jewelry industry. Um, we are disrupting drastically the um, the dental industry. I mean, today, uh, you walk into a, one of our doctors and you can get a full arch denture upper and lower in the same visit in two hours. I mean, that's unheard of. It used to take three months. And so we want to disrupt, you know, we're disrupting the dental industry. And with the industrial space, we will definitely disrupt it now that we have a material set that is uh, coming closer to uh, delivering thermoplastic quality that comes out of injection molding. And, uh, and I think that in, in five to 10 years, Envision Tech will continue to thrive, will continue to grow, and will continue uh, to, develop, uh, to deliver um, solutions, not only that are profitable, uh, to the company, which is really a, a, one of the main goals of the company, but also really disrupt uh, the um, improved patient healthcare. I think that's one of the things that one day I'd like to walk away uh, 
when when there's a sunset for me and and say you know what I disrupted the hearing aid market. I disrupted the um, dental market. I was able to get people uh, things that would take them a long time, a multiple visit. So that's really what I see it in five to 10 years, a bigger, better, and a more advanced company. All right. So Al, thank you so much for, for your time today. Uh, it was wonderful to have you here on the 3D pod. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot for coming and, uh, and telling us a little bit about your history and, and your company and where you want to be in the future. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, I was Joris Peels, and I was here today with uh, Al. Uh, thank you for coming, Al. Thanks for having me. Um, um, I, um, I, I, I think you guys are doing a great job with this. And Joris, uh, you've been in the business for a long time, so it's nice to uh, talk to you again. Awesome, man. Thank you. It's nice to talk to you again. And, uh, yeah, thanks a lot for, for, for being here again, as always, Max. No, no. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. This was a fascinating chat. So thanks again, Al. And uh, thank you for listening to the 3D Pod. And uh, thanks for sending us suggestions on on who we should be interviewing, who we should be talking to. Uh, Have a great day and uh, tell all your friends about us. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.